0: All right, so for those of you who are new, we are in part four of a series called Issues. And in this series, what we're doing is we are learning five different steps, I think, that God wants us to take to deal with our issues. Because the reality is, we all have issues. I have issues. You have issues. Your friends have issues. Everybody that we know has issues. And God wants us to learn how to effectively deal with those issues. And you know that I have a lot of issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've heard me talk about my issues over the past several weeks, and we even had some fun last week with you shouting out some of my issues. And I had to stop you because you were shouting out way too many issues. So I thought today it'd be fun if you shouted out some of your issues. Some of the things that you struggle with, and if you're watching online, feel free to type that in the comment section. But for those on campus, what are some of the issues that you struggle with? Pride. Pride. Anger. Anger. Control. Control, Control. self-esteem. What was that? Anxiety. Anxiety. Energy. Energy. <laughs> Impatience. Hey. Was that hair or care? Hair. 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 Yeah. And you have a full head of hair and a really nice you know, (laughs) beard. Yeah. So anybody else? Doubt, image issues. Doubt, image issues. Wow, I can really relate to all of you, because you've probably heard me say all of those issues. And if you're new thinking, wow, these people at Epic have a lot of issues. Yes, we do. We all have issues. And admitting our issues is the first step for dealing with our issues. So here's what we've learned so far in this series. So to deal with our issues, we need to, number one, admit that we have issues. And we all understand how important that is. And yet that is the hardest step out of all five. Admitting our issues is so difficult. And I think we all can point to someone in our lives who is struggling to deal with an issue simply because they won't admit their issue. And when we don't admit our issues, we can't work on our issues, so we have to start by admitting our issues. Then number two, we have to stop managing our issues. And if you're new, that can sound a little bit weird uh, because we're often told to lean into our strengths and manage our weaknesses, and I do think that's true, but I don't think that applies to our issues. And the reason is we are poor managers of our issues. When we try to manage our issues, we blame other people, we deny our issues, we minimize our issues, we maximize our issues, we get distracted from our issues, we escape from our issues. We do all kinds of weird things in the name of managing our issues. And when we try to do that, we just stay stuck in our issues. So we can't do that. We can't manage our issues anymore. We actually have to admit our issues and step towards those issues and ask God for help. So that's step number two. Step number three, to deal with our issues, we need to get help and then do what we are told. So if we reach out for help, but we don't do what our wise counselors recommend that we do, we're going to stay stuck. So we have to reach out for help, and then we have to do what we are told to do to get unstuck in dealing with our issues. Now, all of these These steps sound so easy, don't they? They they sound like this is something that you could do just relatively easily, and yet these are all very challenging. They're simple, but they're challenging. Here's step number four. Step number four to deal with our issues, we need to, what are those words? help others with their issues. There is something so powerful about helping someone else with their issues that actually helps us with our issues. And we'll explore that today. But before we dive into our our Bible story, let me share another issue with you that I have. And this one uh, could get kind of deep, maybe kind of weird, kind of quick. So one of the issues that I deal with is depression. And depression is kind of a, a, a weird uh, issue for me to battle with, because I'm not very depressed uh, very often. Uh, I have a very upbeat personality. I've got a half of, uh, uh, how do you say that? Half, there you go. Thank you. See, I've got other issues. <laughs> so I have a positive outlook on life. And uh, I'm pretty energetic about most things in life. It takes a lot to, to kind of get me down. But the type of depression that I battle significantly in my life, at least over the past 22 years or so, is what I call spiritual depression. It's a depression that comes from spiritual warfare with the enemy, our real enemy, if you're a Christ follower, even if you're not a Christ follower, you have a real enemy named Satan. Satan. And I don't know what you believe about Satan if you're new to faith or kind of skeptical of faith you might think well that's just kind of Halloween kind of stuff but Jesus actually had uh, an interaction with Satan and he believed in Satan Satan attacked him at the beginning of his ministry and he had a, a spiritual significant battle with him that Jesus won and I've had many battles with Satan over the past 22 years of being a pastor Uh, There are times that nothing is going wrong in my life, but I am really depressed. There are times that things are going really well in my life, and I am still depressed. There are moments that uh, this type of depression is so overwhelming to me that I daydream about getting a job as one of those guys that mows the grass on the interstate, You know those guys in the big tractor and they've got earphones and they are mowing grass for miles? And I drive past them and think, that is the dream job. Like, that is the job I would love to have. So I battle, again, what I call a spiritual depression. And I think a lot of people battle depression in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And I'm just curious, does anybody else battle depression besides me? All right, thanks for your honesty. You know, a lot of us battle depression. I'm going to talk to you today about how I battle my depression, and as we walk through today's Bible story and the guy that we're going to learn from today, I encourage you to pay attention to how my depression sounds similar to his depression and what God encouraged him to do, and I encourage you to pay attention to how God interacts with this guy. If you aren't a Christ follower, you're just going to love how you watch God handle this guy in a moment of crisis, even if you are a Christ follower. I think you're going to love how you see God interact with this guy. So the guy that we're going to learn from today, his name is Elijah. Now Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, and we learned about his predecessor last week. His predecessor's name was? Elisha. So people often get them confused, but this is Elijah who taught Elisha how to be a prophet. And there are several other people in today's story that you need to be aware of, and and here's who they are. So we have King Ahab. He's the king of Israel, and he took the throne around 874 BC, so 874 before Christ, and King Ahab was an evil king. Actually, scripture says that no other king had done more evil in the sight of God before him other than King Ahab. And he actually led the people of Israel away from serving God. And partly it was, in, it was to do with his wife, Queen Jezebel. So Queen Jezebel was a Sidonian princess, and she was not an Israelite. And God told the, the kings of Israel, do not marry other people of other nationalities because they will pull you away from me. And yet King Ahab did not obey. And Queen Jezebel actually hired 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of a God named Asherah to influence the people of Israel and help them turn from worshiping God to worshiping her gods. She was an evil queen. Then we have the Canaanite God named Baal. And Baal was the God of power and fertility and uh, possession and pleasure. And so he was often symbolized by a bull. So pay attention to that when we get into the story. Then we have God known as Jehovah. That is Elijah's God. We'll get to know him more in today's story. Today's story centers on one of Elijah's most famous encounters in Scripture. It is known as the contest at Mount Carmel. And this is uh, how this kind of unfolds. So one day... Elijah challenges King Ahab to a God Smackdown contest. So he says to Ahab, I'm going to challenge your God, Baal, and I'm going to invite my God, Jehovah, to this contest. And whichever God wins, then everybody has to worship that God. And then he turns to the people of Israel, and he says to them in 1 Kings eighteen twenty one, he says, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So there's a lot of anticipation in the air about this contest that is about to happen. And in 1 Kings 18, 23, Elijah explains the rules of this contest. He says, now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one that they wish, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So it seems like a pretty simple contest. And again, it's very interesting that Elijah selects a bull as the sacrifice in this contest, given how Baal is represented. So the prophets of Baal, they went first, and they called out to Baal uh, from morning till evening. They danced around their altar all day long until they could only hobble. They shouted louder and louder. And 1 Kings 18 says they even cut themselves until their blood gushed out as they were trying to get Baal to answer them and send fire down from heaven. Then Elijah got kind of sarcastic. He started mocking them. He said, you're gonna have to shout louder because apparently your God can't hear you. Maybe he's away on vacation. Maybe he's using the bathroom and he can't hear you because he's so distracted right now. So he's tempting them, taunting them, and that increases their attempts to try to get Baal's attention and none of that worked. So at the end of the day, Elijah called together the Israelites over to his altar. He ordered four large containers of water be poured over his sacrifice and over his altar three different times. And you can imagine how difficult it would be to light that sacrifice on fire in that condition. 1 Kings 18 verse 36 says, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38 says, Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. They had dug a trench around his altar. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And I'm thinking that is the right response after you just saw God display his power that way. Verse 40 says, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. So remember, there were 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asher, and we're not sure if he killed the prophets of Asher as well, but there were a whole lot of bad prophets that were executed that day. Now, After you hear how that contest unfolded, how do you think Elijah would be feeling? Feel free to shout your answer out loud. Pretty proud, pretty confident. Like I'm thinking he's feeling invincible in that moment. I mean, he's so excited about God showing up in such a big, powerful way to display his power to everyone there. I'm thinking he's just gonna be invincible, but listen to what happened next. 1 Kings 19, verse 1 says, when Ahab, again, that's the king of Israel, got home, he told Jezebel, that's his pagan queen wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow, you, I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Speaking of her prophets. Now I would think, that after Elijah had this experience and watched God prove his power in such a significant way, I would think he would have sent a message back to Queen Jezebel saying something like, bring it on, Queen (laughs) Jeze. Like, my God showed up to the contest and sent fire from heaven. Your God was asleep. So I'm not afraid of your threats. That's kind of what I would think Elijah would say. But listen to what happened. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, I find this to be a very shocking response I mean, is Elijah really afraid of Jezebel? Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Is he afraid that God won't protect him uh, after this encounter? I'm not sure about that either. Is he battling some intense spiritual depression that he can't even explain himself? Like, we're not fully sure what's going on here, but God asks him about it. So after a long journey... Elijah ended up hiding in a cave on Mount Sinai. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 9, God asked Elijah this simple question. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11. The Lord told him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Just love watching how God interacts with people in moments of crisis in Scripture. Here's a really cool thing that happened God revealed his power in a windstorm, in an earthquake, and fire to Elijah, but God revealed his presence. In Elijah's life through a whisper. You know, when you're close to somebody, you don't have to shout at them. You just have to whisper to them. The closer you are, the more appropriate it is to whisper. So God shows up in Elijah's life, and he cares for him by whispering to him and getting him to reflect on, like, what are you really doing here? Like, what's going on in your life right now, Elijah, that would get you to this spot? So God cares for him by whispering to him. I think God does the same thing with us. I think God loves all of us. If you're a follower of his, he loves you deeply. If you're not yet a follower of his, he loves you deeply. And I think he comes close to us to whisper his presence. And I wonder what God might be whispering to you today. Is he whispering that this issue that you're dealing with is something that he can use to grow you in your relationship with him? Is he whispering that he is available to you to help you through this issue if you'll just turn to him and understand how close he is and what he makes available to you? If you're searching for him, is he whispering, You can find me if you genuinely search for me because I'm not hard to find, I'm really close. I wonder what God is whispering to you today. In verse 14, Elijah replied again. He said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Sounds like the same pity party that Elijah was having a few moments ago. And it sounds like the same pity party that I often have when I'm stuck in my spiritual depression and I'm not sure how to get out of that. But listen to what God said to Elijah in verse 15. He said, Elijah, go back the same way that you came, travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. We learned about Aram last week. And then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of abel mahola to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So there's some significant things that God is saying to Elijah that are going to happen if Elijah fulfills what God's asked him to do. And and they are this. So number one, God is saying, listen, I'm going to use those three leaders that you need to anoint to bring Israel back to myself. So go anoint these leaders, and they're going to help Israel turn back to me. Number two, God was going to use those leaders to destroy Ahab and Jezebel's wicked descendants. Their kids were worse than they were. And God says, we've got to put an end to this family. This family is destroying the people of Israel and pulling them away from me. And the gods that they worshiped that that weren't the true God, Jehovah, people that worshiped them would often sacrifice their own kids to those gods. And some of the Israelites were following that example. God said, that is detestable to me. So I'm gonna put an end to this family because of what they're doing. Then number three, God was helping Elijah deal with his issues. So one of the ways that God did that was he reminded Elijah that he wasn't alone. He said, Elijah, like, calm down in your pity party. You feel like you're all alone, and there's nobody else serving me? That's not true. You aren't alone. I've got 7,000 other people who have never bowed down to worship Baal, and they will not bow down to worship Baal. So Elijah. You're not alone, and yet for us, when we're kind of in Elijah's spot, we often can feel alone. We often can feel like, well, I'm the only one that's that's trying to serve God and fix my marriage, or I'm the only one trying to do the right thing in my work environment, or I'm the only one who's really trying to find God and figure out if he can be a resource for my life, but uh, we're not the only ones. We are not alone. There are other people around us that God has who are doing the same things, that are serving him, that are trying to learn to do the right thing in those moments. So we got to remember, just like Elijah wasn't alone, we aren't alone either. Then God helped Elijah deal with his issues, his depression issues, by telling him to go help others. So that's the fourth step in the five steps that we're learning. So God knew that Elijah needed to stop his pity party and go help others. Step into God's will for their lives. And thankfully, Elijah obeyed. And he he went back. He anointed Hazael to be king of Aram. He anointed Jehu to be king of Israel. And he poured himself into Elisha to become the next prophet of God. And after he did that, Elijah then went and confronted King Ahab and Jezebel and other kings who were leading people away from God. He wasn't depressed anymore. He was confident in his relationship with God and helping Elisha actually helped Elijah deal with his own issues. Same thing can happen for us. One of the things that helps me deal with my depression issues and some of my other issues is to help other people deal with their issues. When I'm helping someone else deal with their issues, my eyes come off of my issues. And I'm reminded of what God can do in their lives as they turn to him for help. And I'm reminded of what God can do in my life as I apply the same stuff that I'm trying to encourage those people to do. So helping others actually helps me. Helping others actually helps all of us. So who might you need to help? Who might there be around you that you need to help? Like, they're in a spot that they're stuck in their issues, And they need someone to come alongside them and help them. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe it's someone at church. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Like who around you is stuck in their issue? And if you stepped in to help them with their issue, it would not only help them, but it would help you. When you're able to identify someone like that, what I recommend you not do is to step into their life and say, hey, I'm here to help you to help me. Like, don't say that. Like, like that just comes off weird. Uh, I encourage you to pray for them. I encourage you to look for opportunities to humbly serve them. I encourage you to look for opportunities to speak truth to them. And some of the truth that you can speak to them is about your own issues. When we start sharing about our issues, you know what it does for other people? It opens them up to dealing with their issues. And when they learn how we are dealing with our issues and stepping towards God, they can learn the same things. So again, who around you might be someone that God wants you to help so that God can ultimately help you as well. Now, don't look at this person, okay? So don't look at this person, just keep your eyes straight forward. Don't look at the person beside you, don't look at the person behind you, don't look at the person in front of you, but they may be the person that God wants you to help. If you brought them today, You might be thinking, I know they need help because they have issues, like I know them personally. And they might be thinking the same thing about you. So there are people that come to Epic on a weekly basis and they need help. You might be that person today. You might be here today or watching online and thinking like, I I tuned in and I know I need help. I have issues. Maybe you came here today because you, you heard about our series and you're thinking, like, I have issues. And beyond you know, hearing about the bald guy who has issues, like, I want help for dealing with, with my issues. And if you are that person, I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you tuned in online. You're welcome here. Why? Because we all have issues. We're passionate about serving people with issues here at Epic. And do you know why? Because I'm one of those people who has issues. I'm one of those people who has been helped by other people in our church family. There have been significant people in my life through our church family who have helped me and who are helping me deal with some of my issues. And I'm so grateful for the investment that they've made in my life. And I want us as a church family to help other people deal with the issues that they have in their lives. That's the kind of church that God's called us to be. Jesus said he came to seek and save those who are lost, not those who think they are found. So if you feel like you're a little bit lost at times, like we are trying to help you. We wanna help you because we all feel a little bit lost at times. We're all dealing with issues at times. So here's what I ask all of us to do, especially if you call Epic your home. I ask you to help us help others. Find a place to serve in our church family, so that you can help other people who are dealing with their issues. And as you help other people deal with their issues, you just might be helped with some of your own issues. And on your seats should be a card like this. I encourage you to grab that card. On one side, it says serving opportunities. On the other side, it says get connected. There should be cards all around. You might have to share a card. There's some pins there I encourage you to grab as well. There are many ways that you can help us help others. And uh, I'm just going to walk you through a few ways that you can do that. So one of the ways that you can do that is through our children's ministry and our student ministries. Uh, If you want to be in an an environment that's exciting, you pick either of those areas. Those are exciting areas. So from birth up to uh, our high school ministry, we've got many opportunities for you to serve children and students in critical times in their lives. And I think we all understand right now we live in a very weird world. Like our world is kind of unraveling. Like, weird things are happening in our school system. Weird things are happening in our culture. Our teachers are on the front lines of trying their hardest to to serve children and students. And you know what? Those children and students, they come here to, to Epic on a regular basis. We have between 150 and 200 children and students every Sunday. And you know what they need? They need more committed volunteers who will come and pour their lives out to help children and students. And you know what happens when we do that? We get helped as well. I often talk with volunteers that are serving children or students and they often say, you know what, I get way more out of this than what I give. And that's a regular thing that happens, I think, in any ministry area. So you could serve through our childrens or through our students. You could get active on our connections team and help us create an environment that welcomes anybody into our church family. No matter what their background is, no matter what their past experience is, no matter what their political opinions, the color of their skin, you could create a space that everybody knows you are welcome to here. Hey, if you have issues, guess what? We have issues as well. But we can turn towards Christ who can help us with our issues. So you could be on our connections team. You could be on our prep team who helps transform this school cafeteria into a place of worshiping God and connecting with God. And I know that uh, our seats remind you on a regular basis that you're in a school cafeteria, right? But we've got a team of people that comes every Sunday morning and they work hard for about an hour, hour and a half to transform this space so that we can get lost in the fact that we're in a middle school and we could think that we are here in a space that's created specifically to help us connect with God. Do you know how many people have found God in this space because it's been transformed? There have been a whole lot of people that have found God. You could be a part of that team that helps set up, that helps tear down. You could be part of our media team that helps create videos and photos and graphic artwork. You could be part of our production team that helps enhance what we do on Sunday mornings and help us serve our online community in more significant ways. You know, we have about 200 or more online viewers every Sunday, and that audience is growing. So you could be a part of our production team that helps to serve them and helps serve us on campus. You could be a part of our worship team that helps us learn how to worship God beyond just song, but all week long. And there are many more opportunities for you to be active in serving beyond just what I've described here. But here's what I ask you to do. If you call Epic your home and you haven't found a place to serve yet, I encourage you to fill out the get connected side of this card. Just put your name, put your phone number, put your email, and then as you're leaving today, as you walk out into the lobby, you look across the lobby, there's a big sign that says get involved. It's big, it's prominent, you can't miss it. But you could miss it if you wanna miss it. If you purposely wanna miss it, you could. You could slip right past it. But I ask you not to do that. Again, if you call Epic Your Home, I ask you if you haven't found a place to serve, go over to that area and have a conversation with one of our amazing staff members or volunteers that are there that will help you find a place to get active in serving. And again, when we help other people deal with their issues, we get helped with our issues. If you're watching online and if you live local, There is a link in the comment section. You can click, and that'll take you to our serving opportunities. I encourage you to do that. If you are watching online and you don't live local, I encourage you to find a church family in your community and dive in to help them serve your community. I guarantee you, you'll never regret that. Now, if you're new with us at Epic, you've you've just come for the first time today, or you've you've just been coming for a few weeks, and you're not quite sure you can listen to a bald guy on a regular basis, you're not sure this is going to be your church home, like, I get it. What I encourage you to do is come to our next Intro to Epic. On September 18th, we're hosting our next Intro to Epic, and that's a class that I teach in our second service during our 1030 service. It's an hour class, and I'll teach you the history of our church, the vision of our church, the values of our church, and help you decide if this should be your church home, and help you find a place where you can get connected in our church family. So if you're new, you've not experienced that yet, I highly recommend that you sign up for that, go to our website, look at our signups tab and you can sign up there. You don't have to sign up, but signing up just helps us get prepared for the number of people who are gonna be there. Now here's another thing I encourage everyone to do. I encourage you to attend our volunteer kickoff event tonight. So we have an event that happens at, at the beginning of every ministry season and uh, our ministry season kind of follows the school year. So we start, uh, we we consider that we start in August, and then we kind of end our ministry season in May, even though ministry never ends, and we we all understand that. But tonight we're having our volunteer kickoff, 6 p.m. here in this room. And I invite you to come be a part of this. It's for everybody who's currently serving. It's for people who are thinking about serving. It's for people who are interested in our church family to learn a little bit more about us. It's for people who never want to serve in their lives ever. It's for everyone. I hope you'll come tonight and hear about the importance of serving in our church family. So we're going to have some food. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some celebrations. It's going to be a fun night. We're going to celebrate communion together. And we'll be challenged again of what it means to be involved as a church family helping others, because helping others actually helps us. So I hope you'll come tonight. In summary, here's what we've learned so far. So to deal with our issues, we need to admit our issues. Then we need to stop managing our issues. Number three, we gotta get help for issues, and we gotta do what we're told. And then number four, we gotta help others with their issues, because when we help others, we actually get helped ourselves. If today's conversation created an opportunity for you or a need for you to to talk to someone or pray with someone after this service, uh, I encourage you to stop by our care table before you leave as you walk out the lobby. It'll be on the right-hand side today. I'll be over there as well. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you about any need that you might have in your life. If you're watching online, just email us at care at theepicchurch.com. Again, we would love to help you any way that we can. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to close today in song. And again, I encourage you, uh, before you leave, stop by our get involved table, and find a way for you to get involved in helping other people. So God, thank you so much for uh, Elijah's story. Lord, it's just so amazing to to read his story and parts of his story. He had such bold confidence in you. And and we see him live out that boldness in several significant ways. And then we see like this opposite thing that happens periodically that that he's afraid, that he's depressed. He's even suicidal. He's not sure like how to follow you. He's not sure if he wants to keep following you. And yet, God, you stepped into his life, and you whispered to him. You revealed your closeness to him through a whisper. And you encouraged him to go help others. And as he would go help others, he would be helped himself. And Lord, it's just amazing to watch as he poured his life into Elisha, you brought back his confidence his confidence in you. And we got to see him do some more powerful things before you called him home to be with you. So Lord, often we feel like Elijah in those moments where we feel like we're alone. And yet you come alongside of us and you whisper to us. And I think part of that whispering is that you encourage us to help other people. You encourage us to take our eyes off of our issues and to focus on what you can do in someone else's life. And as we do that, you remind us what you can do in our lives. So Lord, may we today determine to do that. May we look around us and go help someone who's in need. Lord, for those who call Epic their home and haven't found a place to serve yet, I pray that that they would find a place. Help us as a church. Help the many people who are coming on a regular basis be able to take a step in their relationship with you. God, we all have issues. so grateful that you love us anyway. Grateful that, that you care for us and you help us through our issues. So Lord, we're all together in this. We're not alone. And we turn to you for your help. So teach us how to do this, we pray in Jesus' name.